Good afternoon and welcome to Everyday Law. I'm your host, Bob Clark. As with every program, we are not intending to give legal advice. If you require legal advice, please see an attorney and acquaint them with the facts of your individual case. Additionally, any of the opinions that are uttered on the show are not the opinions of Howard County Community College, its faculty, students, and employees. We're taking a little bit of a change in our customary lawyers and judges and politicians, and we've brought on board the preeminent Howard County political blogger, Scott E. Welcome to the program, Scott. Thank you. I appreciate you bringing me on the show. So you actually have a name other than Scott E. What is your actual name? Scott Ewart. Scott Ewart. E-W-A-R-T. It's like Ewing, just Ewart. Okay. Out of interest, how on earth did you become a Howard County political blogger? I started blogging back in 2014, okay. so about five, a little over five years ago. I really started the blog for me okay. to document things that I was already following. Some things were just events that I was following, politics in 2014, the 2014 governor's race and the local races here in Howard County. The blog kind of got noticed right away when I started doing what were these technology outreach scorecards, where I would do a month-by-month evaluation of the candidates and how many followers they had on Facebook, how many followers they had on Twitter, Instagram, and then look at month by month how many new followers they were getting, how much engagement they were getting. I would give advice to the candidates of those that were doing it well and those that were making mistakes like linking Facebook and Twitter and other common mistakes uh, both politicians and companies make. Uh, And that kind of got the, the blog noticed and that's kind of how it all started. So it sounds as though you anticipated the extent to which social media would have an effect on our politics. Without question. In in 2014, social media had already started to have an effect. But what we didn't see in 2014 were people doing these evaluations, these side-by-side, particularly at the local level. The national level, folks, you know, President Obama's race, and folks were looking at it at that level, but not really at the state level for the governor's race at the time. And I took it a step further and started looking at the county council races, the state delegate races, the state senate races, and people got very interested in this. You were getting polling data, you're getting financial data. This is another data point that you can look at during an election to say, how's my candidate doing? So do you find that your analyses correlate with the broader political analyses, the polling data of Mason-Dixon or different things like that? Or do they diverge? Or what would you say about that? They're kind of all over the place for the most part. Uh, I will say that in a close election, it can make a difference. Everything matters in a close election. Every sign that's out there, every ad that you're running, every post on social media that's getting engagement and getting seen matters. Uh, you know, we saw this in the governor's race where Governor Hogan in 2014 was significantly better than Anthony Brown on social media. Sure. I mean, he had the whole Change Maryland thing before he even ran and utilized that resource. To, I believe that help. You know, social media by itself cannot win you an election, but it can assist you in, you know, social media is about any other type of advertising or marketing for yourself. It's name recognition. It's letting my followers know what I believe in. And those that use it well, it benefits them in campaigns. So I'm 63 years old and I am not an effective social media user. 
how on earth did you come to see this? I mean, I understand you're a tech guy, but is that what brought you to the conclusion that that, that was an important component of political campaigns? It was. I mean, I do this for a living. I provide social media consulting advice, and I've done social media management for small businesses, and then from time to time, even politicians do web design and realize, and I understand the importance of what this was. Uh, in 2014, again, when I started the blog, I didn't realize that anyone else would be interested in it. I was already tracking these numbers, and the blog just gave me some place to document it. What I found was people thought that that was an interesting way to look at a campaign back then and started following the blog. And then from there, I just kind of grew the blog into other interests, you know, local events and sports and other political um, happenings around the county and, and to some degree the state. So, Dotless, you are celebrating the River Hill High School Girls State Championship in basketball. Longreach. Ah, Longreach. Okay. Yes. Uh, lo- my daughter attended Longreach High School. Uh, Longreach uh, girls team made it to the Final Four, lost to Frederick, who you know won the, the girls' championship again. I do some work with the Longreach Boosters Club from web design assistance. And uh, so, yes, I'm a huge Longreach High School fan. Go Lightning. Uh, but because my daughter— You're gratified the Hawks won, of course. Absolutely. Okay, anyone, in ha- anyone in Howard County that does well, I'm all for So you had previously said that you found that social media and individual things can have a significant impact in close political races. That's correct. Okay. So there was a particularly close political race with one of the previous guests that I had on this show, Katie Fry Hester. Yes. And you're aware of that, I presume. Absolutely. Is there anything that you saw in her campaign or evaluated in her campaign that in your view, made the difference in that very, very close race? I'm not sure if that specifically made the difference as opposed to just the blue wave that hit all of Maryland and Howard County. Other than the gubernatorial race. Other than the gubernatorial race. And that, I think, more had to do with the candidate than the wave. But Katie Fryester or Senator Hester utilized social media significantly better than than previous Senator Bates. But Senator Bates had never, back when she was a delegate, and then Senator had never been a huge social media outreach, either elected official or candidate. And, you know, I, again, I had tracked it back in 2014 when, when she ran. Um, and then, of course, in 2018, watching, I watch all the candidates. I mean, to do these scorecards, I have to. So Katie utilized all of the channels, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. She had Facebook groups set up for so that she could communicate with her followers and, and used it really well. And look, that helped. There's no question. And that race was tied enough that you never know. Just social media alone may have put her over the top a little bit. So do you get into the predictive thing where you kind of the day before the election, call what you think the outcomes of races will be? Not based off social media, no. But I'm just uh, generally speaking. I, I do, but I don't publicize it. Okay. Um, yeah, I try and be fair to all the candidates that I write about um, without going, this one's going to win or that one's going to win on the blog. Uh, I always have my leanings of of who I think is going to win. You know, Some of the races this last election cycle, I did really well. Uh, nailed. Some of them I missed wildly. And, what and, was the biggest surprise in Howard County, in your estimation, in the 18 election cycle? The biggest. Honestly, I, I, honestly, the Rich Gibson one. Okay. Uh, and he won big. And he won big. I, I mean, let's be honest, all the the courthouse Democrats won big. They did. Uh, the, none of those races ended up close. Um, I really thought Kim Oldham Look, I love Rich. Rich and I. I are, love them both. Rich and I are buddies, <laughs> and and I got to meet Kim, and and I really got to like her a lot as well. Um, but I really thought 
just looking at numbers and looking at things I had seen at like the fair and other things folks were talking about. I really thought Kim Oldham was was going to win that race. I was very, very wrong. And I'm very happy for Rich that he won it. Gives me, a, you know, a friend in the state attorney's office that I can go chat with, you know, when I've got questions for the blog. Sure. I think Kim would have been that way too. You know, the Alan Calvin thing. I, just, I, just for the edification of our listeners, this is a little inside politics, but the, the rich Kim Oldham race is the state's attorney, the, state, right. the chief prosecutor for Howard County, Correct, which has a dramatic impact, particularly on young people, because Absolutely. people are more apt to get in trouble when they are younger rather than when they are older. So whoever the prosecutor is, is, is something of significance. Yes. And by a happy coincidence, Rich was our guest last week. He was. First time <laughs> post-election. And uh, it was quite interesting to hear his opinions about initiatives that he was going to pursue and ideas that he thought would be helpful. And, you know, I don't know whether they would have been common to Kim Oldham, who's also been a guest on this show. But it's sort of interesting to hear you say that yeah. about that situation. I tell you, the, the, the courthouse, race, courthouse races are the hardest ones to call. And what would you describe? What are the courthouse races? So you're talking register of wills. Okay. Uh, Can you tell the audience what that is and who won? Well, Byron McFarland won. The exact definition of register of wills, I am far, far from Would an you expert. rather I gave you one in oh, my capacity as an attorney? Please do that. <laughs> so basically, every county in the state is obliged to have a register of wills where people can deposit their wills while they're alive and where when they pass away, if they pass away in the county, there is a system in place to ensure that the proceeds of their estates are properly disseminated to their heirs. In other words, the money that gets left to Aunt Millie actually goes to Aunt Millie, and to make sure that where there are, in effect, taxes that go to the county and the state, they're properly paid, and to make th sure things work properly. There are times in estates where different relatives disagree about the interpretation of a will or what the, what the person who died wanted done with their rug or their house or something else, and that's what the Register of Wills does. It's oddly, in my view, sort of an apolitical or non-political office in that it isn't as though if you have a Democrat in there or a Republican in there, it necessarily means things will operate differently. I can say from having been involved in estate litigation across the state that some of the offices run more efficiently and in my view, more fairly than others. So it is one of these odd and important offices where voting for a Republican or a Democrat doesn't necessarily make a difference in terms of what the policy is. And, and I would say that about many, if not most, of what's known as the courthouse offices. Sure. So you've got the sheriff's office of the sheriff, uh, which Marcus Harris won. He did. And the clerk of the court, which Roby... Um, you know, it eludes Roby. me presently. Yeah. Roby won. Um, and then you've got the judges of the orphans court, sure. which we have two returning and, and one new. Which is also another anomalous situation where judges of the orphans court do not have to be licensed practicing attorneys. Yet. Yet. And one of the things that's kind of bizarre from the standpoint of someone who's been a licensed practicing attorney for 38 years is it's hard to go before somebody who doesn't have that training and do things and think that they will necessarily get a positive result right. out of it. So it, it's one of those weird kind of races also. I do know, and, you know, talking to some legislators, that that's one of those things that they would like to change at some point. Uh, it was even discussed in Annapolis a little bit this year, but it didn't make, it didn't make any headway yet. I think there's a... 
a push to do it, do it statewide instead of at individual localities, and we'll see what happens with that. But you're right. Today, you don't have to be a practicing attorney to be on uh, the, the orphan's court. Which makes me want to go, ah! <laughs> I, I, I can only imagine. So the courthouse races all essentially went in the Democrats' favor. Big way. In a big way. And it seems as though somebody – I think the Katie Fry Hester race was an upset over Gail Bates. It was because, I mean, you, generally you think of District 9 as the Republican district and District 12 and 13 as the Democrat districts. And then the county executive race, Calvin Ball, won pretty resoundingly over Alan Kittleman. And – I say this having had them as guests and knowing them, mm-hmm. that I think they're all fair-minded people. Without and, question. And, and I don't think that the administration of Calvin Ball is going to be radically different than Alan Kittleman's. You know, they're, they have different initiatives and they may have different views and, and, and different life experiences right. that color what they want to do. But I do think that we're in a pretty progressive place where the difference between Republican and Democrat isn't as great as some other places. No question. And yes, some things that were priorities for Allen were Allen's priorities, and Calvin Ball, uh, County Executive Calvin Ball, is going to have his own priorities. I um, mean, you're starting to see some of that. You know, during his first hundred days of office, you can see some of the things that he's done. You know, the EC, uh, the delicate city. You know, flood plan that he's put in place, and that's this phase one of it. You know, we've seen some of what his priorities for Ellicott City are versus, you know, right before County Executive Kittleman left, he had the press conference with uh, County Councilman John Weinstein and what their plan was. And these are radically different plans for Ellicott City. How important an issue is that? Ellicott City? Yeah. So it, in this last election, it was critically important. Do you for, think it was the deciding issue? It was the deciding issue in District 1. I think it may have been a deciding, if not the deciding issue in the county executive's race. I also believe it was a deciding issue in the District 9B race between Courtney Watson, who is now right. the state delegate, over Bob Flanagan, who was the state delegate. Can you illuminate our audience on... The, I mean, everybody knows about the flooding, but what are the different schools of thought on what to do? Well, I think what County Executive Kilman and County Council Weinstein came up with was a radical approach. You know, you know, they were going to take the buildings that they, you know, that were deemed not safe. We were going to take, you know, remove those buildings and and kind of change not drastically the look, but um, change Ellicott City to have the flood go to a very, you know, when it does, um, you know, we love to call this a hundred year flood yet, you know, we had two of them in a thousand year years. flood, right? A thousand year flood. And we had a, f- a couple of them in one administration. Yeah. It's not a thousand year flood anymore. It will, it has never been a thousand year flood. Ellicott city is flooded over and over and over. You can go to the Baltimore sun and look through our archives and look through all of the number of times and all of the photos that, you know, show Ellicott city flooding, and flooding and flooding. It's different type of flooding today. It wasn't the river running river that we have today in the past, but the flooding has always been there. It's not going anywhere anytime soon until somebody does something about it. I I didn't know enough about the uh, Kinnaman Weinstein plan to say, yeah, this is good or bad. It sounded good because it was, you know, it was a radical approach. And sure. I liked that aspect of it. Calvin Ball. So we can characterize you as a radical then. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, sure. Why not? County Executive Ball has has started his EC Safe and Sound. You know, we've seen phase one, which um, has some stuff in it, but, you know, it's far from a complete plan yet. But 
I'm assuming they called it phase one because we're going to see a phase two and we're going to see a phase three and we're going to see how he develops what his plan is. Uh, and I think he's going to try and do a little more with, you know, community input maybe than what was perceived that Kittleman did. I think Kittleman got input. I don't know to what extent. Again, I'm not on the inside. I'm sure. the blogger from the outside. Um, Where do you get your information? A little bit of everywhere, honestly. I, I Again, I follow every elected official. I follow every candidate for office on social media. When you say you follow, you follow their Twitter feed. And I, I noticed Twitter. on your website that you have a consolidation or a, the ability on your website to follow everybody yes. in their social media. Yep, you can follow their Facebook page and, and their Twitter account for every county councilman, the county executive, every delegate, every senator uh, from Howard County right on the website. Uh, I follow their Instagram accounts. I follow them on LinkedIn. I follow them everywhere who's, I can follow who's them. Who's the best at this in Howard? County. So there are a lot of that are very, very good. Calvin uh, Ball is, I think, right now the best. Courtney Watson is very good, and, and she was when she ran for county executive. You know, I, I remember doing the scorecards between um, Alan Killerman and, and Courtney Watson back when back they were both 14, running yeah. um, for county executive, and I kind of named them both my social media all-stars because they were everywhere, every place, all the time. Alan, and I presume that that isn't them, that they have a staff of able presumably young people who are doing this for them. I, yes, and right, because a, a candidate, an elected official can't do it all. They don't have the time. So you sure. have to hire people or have volunteers that do this for you, for at least a, a vast majority of it for you. But they had the right people and, and are good at it. Um, there are ones that don't use it all. Delegate Pendergrass says, doesn't have a website. She doesn't have a Facebook page. She does a Twitter account, and it has absolutely no interest in it, from what I understand. And wins. And wins over and over and over again. Uh, she's in a district in a place where she's never going to lose as long as she decides to run. So she doesn't need it. But others have decided that this is the way that they're going to communicate with their constituents in their districts or in the county that which, they serve. Which seems sort of, I mean, I don't know what the median age of Howard County is. I do not think of it as a young person place, and I do think of social media as being more pervasive among young people. It depends on what type of social media you're talking about. Sure. I mean, if you're talking about Instagram and Snapchat, yep, that's young people. Twitter's a little older, and Facebook is— Still older. It, Everybody you know, looking for pictures honestly, of Honestly, Facebook grandkids. is you and me yeah. age at this yeah. point because, I, you know, I, I have family back in Tennessee, and, you know, my parents are on Where it. in Tennessee? Fayetteville. It's closer to Huntsville, Alabama than it okay. is anywhere else due south of Nashville. Gotcha. And I have a daughter here um, and family, you know, close by. And so this is the way I communicate with them. But And they're online, though, to not only see what we're doing, but what the rest of the family in Pennsylvania and, you know, other parts of the country are sure. doing. So Facebook is not just the young people anymore, specifically Facebook. So is this just a local obsession or are you equally obsessed with statewide and national politics? I do some statewide stuff, uh, but I like to... So there are certain issues statewide that I have an interest in that I will write about. What are your favorite issues to write about? Redistricting. Okay. Isn't that a Supreme Court issue? It absolutely is, but it's also been a bill before Annapolis many times over, and it's given me, you know, the ability to track it, who voted yes, who voted no, why are they, you know, on each side of it. I live in United States Congressional District 3 which is maybe the one of the top five worst-drawn congressional districts in all of it's America. It's an interesting one to look at on paper. Hence why I am very interested in, in this topic. Can you describe its 
peculiar characteristics to our audience? It's it's the weirdest looking thing that I've ever seen because it runs from North Baltimore um, through Anne Arundel County, uh, through Baltimore City, through Baltimore County, through Anne Arundel County, through Howard County, and even into Montgomery County. I mean, it really stretches from North Baltimore to Olney in Montgomery County. And your congressperson is? Uh, John Sarbanes. Uh, yeah, uh, Congressman Sarbanes is, is uh, the congressman from District 3, who's a wonderfully nice guy. And if the thing got redrawn and he was still my congressman, You'd be happy. I'd be fine with it. I just want to I want to live in a district that looks like it wasn't purposely. I mean, particularly if you look at how it's drawn up in Baltimore, it like goes down one street at one point. Um, it, it's, it's ridiculous. It's silly. Even Democrats know it's silly. And it's all politics. It's all politics. And when I talk to delegates, uh, delegates that I like and respect a great deal and would vote for a million times over, they're not willing to give up the seat, so they're not willing to redraw it. Well, the dilemma is that it's a national phenomenon, that in Pennsylvania and North Carolina, you basically have the states configured in such a way that the Republican congressional groups are enormous relative to the votes that they get. Absolutely. And until North Carolina or Pennsylvania, I mean, they're being compelled by courts to change. And and as is Maryland. As is Maryland. And I, I guess I feel like if there was some mechanism to do it on a national basis, that would be where it should be at. You know, I, it's hard for Maryland to say we're going to give up clout, in effect, and have North Carolina retain it. Sure. And, and I get that side of it. The other side of the argument is, are we leaders in Maryland or are we followers in Maryland? And, you know, when I keep hearing that we're leaders on guns, we're leaders on, you know, do you believe, other issues. Do you believe that? I, be, I believe that they believe that about the other issues. I don't understand if you believe that we're going to be leaders on issues. Maryland's going to lead the way. Why do we not lead the way and show other states this is how you do it and let the other states then say, okay, legislature, you can't figure this out. We're going to vote you out and put people in that will do it. We don't believe in Maryland that the other states will do it. Just as in North Carolina or Pennsylvania, they doubtless don't believe that they should be the leaders who do it. I mean, everybody's being compelled by the courts in this age politicization. Yes. And so six, District 6 is going to get redrawn. And after 2020, you know, we're going to have a whole new census and, a, you know, a whole new redrawing of the lines anyways. Be very interesting. I'm, I'm very, it gives me something to write about at the state level uh, on the blog to follow to see what happens with District 3. Any Howard County politicians that you perceive as potential rising stars to be the governor or senators or someday Elijah Cummings will retire, anything like that? Well, I mean, County Executive Ball is, is at, you know, the guy right now in um, in local politics. He, yeah, I could see him going a multitude of directions depending on, you know, how his term plays out for him sure. over the next four years. Uh, Cummings someday, Congressman Cummings someday will retire. Uh, you know, and I wouldn't completely shock me to see Calvin Ball run for that seat at some point in the future. Um, and, you know, obviously the governor's, um, you know, this Larry, Governor Hogan's term limited. Four years from now, we're going to be looking for— You don't think Boyd Rutherford's going to be the next governor? I believe he's going to run. Yeah, I do too. Uh, I, whether he's going to win or not depends on what else happens over the next four years. The 2020 election, I believe, is going to be a precursor to what happens in 2022. And um, so there's, I mean, we have four years, three and a half years to kind of see how this all plays out. Um, but definitely County Executive Ball is is a player, you know, in, in multiple areas as the Howard County Executive. Um, Any Republicans? Uh, you know, it, 
the the Republican was kind of Executive Kittleman, um, and you know he lost. Um, would it shock me to see him do something in four years? It would not shock me at all to see him come back. Um, I've actually been a little surprised that um, previous county executive Holman hasn't come back, but he seems to have a really good gig in College Park and seems happy down there. Um, so we'll see what happens with uh, Kittleman. I, I don't know of any other Republican um, p- politicians uh, in Howard County right now that I would call rising stars. Now, Delegate Warren Miller is one of my favorite Republicans in Howard County. Mm-hmm. Um, he... he I like what he stands for. And what is it that he stands for? Well, I mean, he, in your he, estimation, he is not so far. I'm not going to work with the other side that he won't work with the other side. Um, you know, I saw him work with Delegate Atterbury on the this uh, Howard County Board of Education, how we elect uh, members, as opposed to in 2020, the, the law was changed. Instead of electing every. Um, we will start electing five Howard County Board of Education members by council district. Now, the way the law is written today, council you run by council district, but you're elected by countywide vote. Delegate Miller has worked with Delegate, Delegate Atterbury to fix that and brought that forward this session. It's already, I believe, passed the House of Delegates. It's before the Senate now to so that you are you run in a district and you're, the district elects you, not the countywide. Um, and, and I like that he worked across the aisle on this issue. So what do you think are the major issues other than redistricting going forward both in Howard County and in the state of Maryland? Let's focus on Howard County for a second. Sure. Um, you know, we recently had the report from the Spending and Affordability Committee. I don't know if anyone read that, but it is not a happy, glowing, wonderful report. You know, we have higher expenses than we do revenues. And we're going to see changes in the county executive's budget based off of what came out of this report. We've actually already started seeing some of them. Howard County Police Department lost its aviation unit. I, I, yeah, that is a big yes. bone of contention. Um, April 30th, you know, we no longer have, Howard County no longer has an aviation unit, and we are reliant on Anne Arundel County and, I believe, Baltimore for aviation services for the police department. I would presume the Maryland State Police also. Probably. They weren't... I got an answer from the uh, Howard County Police Department public information office. They weren't real specific of – they told me Anne Arundel and other jurisdictions. Um, and there's one other, you know, um, the Howard County Fire and Rescue Services are going to start charging. Uh, for, for ambulance services? For ambulance services. Uh, so this was something that came out of that spending and affordability report. Uh, you know, this is – that's a revenue generator, and the, the aviation thing was a cut in a program. I think these were the first low-hanging fruit pieces that they that could don't do, immediately that, impact um, your taxes but can have an impact individually and i believe we're going to see more and more of that as this first budget comes you know they're talking 108 million dollar deficit we're either going to get new fees and taxes and or cuts in programs so the governor came out within the last few days talking about how ruinous i mean he, he he's the counterpoint to president trump that yes. he's a he's a reagan republican and right. it sounds as though he may run and i'd be happy to have a, a sensible republican run sure. you know um but he also blasted the democrats over right. economic matters and talking about how the school funding that is mandated is going to be ruinous to the state. And I wonder if you have any thoughts about school funding and and that issue. Well, you know, even at the local level, you know, our Howard County Board of Education, you know, submitted a budget that was, you know, historically high 
um, increase over what we've done in the past. And at the state level, we're seeing kind of the same thing. You know, uh, where does the money come from is the question. Um, I think Governor Hogan's concern is you're, you're, you're putting all these expenditures in. The only way to do this is tax. You, you know, I was elected not to do that. Sure. And that's his standpoint. I, th- I think that may be part of where he's coming from. Uh, at, the, at the local level, you, know, you have Board of Education members that voted yes. It said there's no way that the county executive could actually fund all of this, but this is what we need, so I'm voting yes. So is it good intentions rather than actual policy, or what's your view on that? I, I don't, I, you know, honestly, I, I don't know if it's to back somebody into a corner to say, you know, you, you know, to have the, the teachers unions, have the, as they've done in the past, you didn't fully fund us. We're coming after you because you didn't fully fund us. They just had us. a big march down in Annapolis they, recently. They absolutely did. And if you watch them in, in political campaigns, they will, you know, if you don't give them every penny um, that they think they should get, you know, they will call you out for that. On the other hand, we have a preeminent school system here in Howard County. We have a great school system. I mean, and public I'm, schools are spectacular. And, and, and my daughter from kindergarten through graduation uh, attended Howard County High Schools from Bella Springs and Bonnie Brown. Branch and, and Longreach, sure. and very proud of the education that she received uh, at, at all levels here in Howard County. Uh, Howard County has great schools. Uh, we want to keep them great. Um, it takes money to do that. You know, look, this impact fee thing, um, allowing the, the county council to change and increase the impact fees to bring in more revenue will help with that. We'll see if it makes it out of Annapolis. I crossover day just happened it did not make it through crossover day so we'll see but you know it's, it's bills like that in annapolis that have an effect on the school system here locally well we're winding down we've got about 30 seconds left in the show and i just wondered what is a scott e prediction for the political future that no one else is going to provide us wow i i wish i had a really good one off the top of my head um i i believe uh that Governor Hogan will not run for president. Okay, that's, that's a good one. That's that I, I and let me give you my other one, and we're going to see if I'm right on this or not. Donald Trump will not run for president. On that note, we're going to thank Scott E for his appearance today on Everyday Law. I'm your host, Bob Clark. Farewell. Connect with us. We are Dragon Digital Radio.